0: But When it came to China, there was always a double standard. For decades, both Democrats and Republicans have argued that by opening trade with China, China would gradually become more like the West and adopt liberal, democratic values. But some knew better.
1: They torture people to the point of brokenness and death. Why don't you get in the mind of what the Chinese Communist Party wants to do to its own people and others? Today
0: I sit down with Congressman Chris Smith, representative of New Jersey's 4th District. For the past four decades, he has been one of Congress's most vocal critics of the Chinese Communist Party and American policies that enable the regime's abuses.
1: They threaten everybody else, you know, whether it be Taiwan on the short term, Japan, Korea, Philippines and, over time, the entire world. This is American Thought
0: Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Before we start the interview, I have a message from the sponsor of this American Thought Leaders podcast. Inflation is on the rise in America, and this could be a major blow to your savings and retirement funds. American Hartford Gold can help you diversify your retirement portfolio with physical gold and silver. With a quick phone call, they can deliver physical gold and silver right to your door or into your IRA or 401k. The process is simple and they are one of the highest-rated firms in the country with an a rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. If you call them right now, they can give you up to $1,500 worth of free silver on your first order. So call them now at 855-862-3377. That's 855-862-3377, or text American to 65-32. Again, that's 855-862-3377 or text American to 65532. Congressman Chris Smith, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders.
1: Yeah, and thank you so much for inviting me. Appreciate your show and I appreciate your leadership. So let's talk about human
0: rights in China. You know, I'm going to offer a bit of an anecdote here. Um, I, I remember when I first met you back in 2005, um, at the UN Human Rights Commission, I think it was still called. That's right. Um, and you know, there's a few things I remember. I remember how few people there were advocating for prisoners of conscience in China, Christians, Falun Gong practitioners, others. Um, and I remember um, one of them, Bob Fu, you know, entering the the chamber where all the delegates were and somehow getting an electric chinese electric baton into that room i don't know if you remember this and uh you know brandishing it actually hitting the button and you know causing quite a scene and you know and being ejected but you know making a point that this is something that's actually really being done to people right now these tools are sure. being used to suppress people i want to talk to you today about how we got to this place where china the Chinese regime has hosted the 2022 Olympics. Has hosted the 2008 Olympics, and ostensibly, to my eye, just is kind of laughing at the world when it comes to you know the egregious, geno- multiple genocides, human rights violations there. And it wasn't always like that.
1: No, you're absolutely right. You know, there was always an understanding of the human rights abuses being committed, for example, by. Uh, the Soviet Union, the Warsaw Pact, but when it came to China, there was always a double standard. There was this inability to understand, I think it was it was by design, not by, by mistake, uh, that the Chinese Communist Party is vicious, uh, it is cruel, it uses torture as, a, as an element of ensuring people's compliance, but just, just punish. Kill people by 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 torture. You know, you mentioned uh, Bob Fu with the cattle prod uh, that is routinely used by Chinese torturers, Chinese Communist Party uh, apparatchiks, and and frankly, I had a hearing uh, with um, on Tibetan Buddhism, and the fact that and we had a guy named uh, Paulden Gyatsu, who was a Buddhist monk, he brought one of those cattle prods in to my hearing. And when he tried to get through the police at the entrance downstairs in the Rayburn building, uh, he was stopped. I had to go down and escort him in and said, he is coming to tell us exactly what the Chinese Communist Party does to people behind those closed doors. They put those cattle prods on the genitals, in the mouth, under the arms, all places where there's extreme sensitivity. And they torture people to the point of, of brokenness and death. And they use it against the Falun Gong, the Christians, the Buddhists, uh, the Uyghurs, uh, any political dissidents. Uh, It is routine. It's how they are able to get people to cough up names because who can endure that, really? None of us can. And they use it uh, and they just break people uh, and it's all Xi Jinping and all of his predecessors who were masters of torture. I've chaired several hearings exclusively focused on the use of torture by the Chinese Communist Party uh, and, and is their means to an end. Uh, they beat people senseless. Uh, even, in, even Wei Jing Shang, the great father of the Democracy wall movement, when he, um, I met with him when they let him out in the early 1990s. They get Olympics 2000. He was such a high value political prisoner. They let him out and he asked to see me. So we went out and had dinner in, in Beijing. Secret police was just a couple of yards away, uh, and he wanted it that way. We all did. And then when they didn't get Olympics 2000, they rearrested him and beat, beat him almost to the point uh, of death. Uh, he came here, and the first place he came was to my office. I invited him to testify, and he talked about the torture. He also talked about... What the Westerners, including and especially United States diplomats, do, and that is by kowtowing and coddling the dictatorship. They see that as nothing but weakness, and they exploit it. When you're tough, predictable, and consistent, um, they treat even the prisoners better uh, inside the, the, the Lao Guy uh, system and, and you know, the huge concentration camp uh, network. So it's you know we we've gotten here through enabling. Uh, You know, uh, 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 China has been misperceived to some extent, I'll give the benefit of the doubt, to some people who just didn't get it. Uh, And when you go back, Jan, to the whole issue of trading with China, after Tiananmen Square, which they still don't acknowledge even happened, and all the bayoneting and killing and and the like, uh, uh, that, that should have been the pivot point for the world, especially the United States, to say human rights, rule of law, or you're not going to export uh, all of your products to the United States without huge uh, uh, barriers to that trade and, and um, imposition of duties and tariffs. And, and we gave all that up. Bill Clinton on May 26, 1994, delinked human rights from trade. That's when the Chinese Communist Party said, these guys are bluffers. Uh, they are fake Uh, And I put the right at Clinton's foot because he delinked it, uh, and that's when they said profits Trump treating their own people uh, with basic human rights. And again, torture is the means by which they do everything. If you or I are arrested as a political prisoner in the People's Republic of China, the Chinese Communist Party will torture you and me, uh, and that's what they do. It's routine, it's systemic, and it's absolutely pervasive.
0: That's a very important date you mentioned, <laughs> because um, I guess things didn't have to be this way since 1994. In my, my own analysis, um, the US and, and others built the world's greatest dictatorship effectively, yes. um, willingly, and, and with great fanfare almost. You know, you, Speaking of consistent, you've been consistent on, on these things. <laughs> um, Let's just let's roll a clip from C-SPAN from a while back.
2: Mr. Clinton once said that in foreign policy, one has to have, quote, great personal strength to make the right decision. However, it takes little personal strength to turn one's back on millions of prisoners of conscience and people in slave labor camps, especially when profits are involved. It takes little personal strength to close your eyes to the millions of women and children victimized by draconian population control policies, which include forced abortions and the brutal murders of babies who who are born but don't meet standards of health or ability or just happen to be baby girls. Despite the soothing rhetoric, the administration has chosen to ignore the millions who are denied the right to practice their faith. Religious repression is up significantly, especially since Li Pong's two new uh, decrees were signed in January. Let me just finally say that Harry Wu, as some of you may know, just a, a week ago, made a very compelling case that the use of Gulag labor-produced goods continues unabated. It has not been investigated the way we would like to see it investigated. And the so-called memorandum of understanding is very weak and flawed, and we have every reason to believe that our markets are receiving these goods that have been made by prisoners of conscience and by prisoners, religious prisoners, and by regular inmates.
0: It seems like a lot of what you said here has actually come to pass.
1: Yeah, and it absolutely has. Um, I offered the First Amendments in the early 80s to highlight and combat the use of forced abortion and forced sterilization in China as part of the one-child-per-couple policy, uh, which made brothers and sisters illegal and coerced women to abort. Um, um, and they had no say. They were told the baby's dead uh, because you didn't get permission and you're not part of uh, you know, the, um, the quota system that they established. I can't tell you how disappointing it was to see so many uh, sino hands, uh, people who were supposedly experts, who just looked the other way as all of these women were being exploited. So I offered an amendment. Uh, it was backed um, and, and it won, and Ronald Reagan certainly did it through his executive orders as well. This said no funds to any organization uh, that, that, that allows coercive population control to happen. Uh, no direct funding to China for sure. And the UN Population Fund was found to be the major contributor and enabler of the Chinese Communist Party's war on women and their babies. And and the catastrophic impact was, uh, um, you know, it's arguably the, the worst crime, certainly in numbers, ever committed against women. At the Nuremberg War Crimes Tribunal, forced abortion by the Nazis was properly construed to be a crime against humanity. Well, it's no less a crime against humanity when the Chinese Communist Party uses it and they use it uh, with telling effect against targeted groups, uh, whether it be the Falun Gong or the Tibetan Buddhists or the Uyghurs or Christians uh, to keep their numbers down. And that is genocide. That's one of the five pillars of what constitutes genocide. Reducing the births uh, through this coercive means uh, by design in order to have fewer of that uh, ethnicity uh, or that group or that religious denomination uh, in China or anywhere else. So it, it's a, you know, the disparity is unbelievable. Uh, they're missing some estimates, 60 million females, uh, women who systematically were, were exterminated by the Chinese Communist Party. Because if you can only have one in a society where there's a boy preference... The girl is sacrificed and killed. So the girl, child, and women, many of whom are <clears throat> not there, men can't find wives to marry because they've been destroyed uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. And, and now they're trying to reverse it with a three-child-per-couple policy. But the damage and the atrocity has been done uh, to countless number of Chinese women. And, and um, so that's just one <laughs> All the other human rights abuses, uh, you know, the crackdown on the Falun Gong, uh, the organ harvesting uh, uh, outrage that is an everyday occurrence in China uh, is, um, you know, is, you know, there's a parade of horribles here, the likes of which, you know, we saw in Nazi Germany and other dictatorships, you know, the excesses, the outrages of of Stalin uh, are now being committed by Xi Jinping. Um, And he needs to be seen for that, Uh, you know, what he did to Hong Kong. You know, in 2014, I introduced the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act and all the big know-it-alls said, oh, don't do that. He'll never go after the basic law or the UK Sino uh, Treaty. Uh, He won't undermine the special nature of Hong Kong. I said, yes, he will. You don't understand Xi Jinping. He is a dictator dictator with few equals in the world. Um, And again, Stalin comes to mind, Mao Zedong comes to mind, Adolf Hitler comes to mind. That's how egregious his behavior really is. And sure enough, they have crushed the Hong Kongers. Uh, It is no longer a bastion of of freedom. and, and, uh, and, and, And our bill, and Marco Rubio did it on the Senate side, became law, but it was years too late. We could have done it in 2014 with the beginning of the Umbrella Movement. And that's what I keep seeing all these years. I had the hearings on World Trade Organization Ascension allowing China into the WTO. I said, don't do it. WTO and the world community won't change China. They'll change the WTO. And that's what they've done ever since. They game the system. People are afraid to stand up to them. And um, uh, so that's so it's been all these years systematically uh, making things worse, particularly for people who have a faith or a spiritual discipline. Uh, and because they they can't be controlled. Now Xi Jinping's pushing um, very hard, and I wa- wrote a uh, Washington Post op-ed saying the world leaders have to speak out against what Xi Jinping is doing to faith. Um, you know, he, he's, he calls it synonization. Synonization being that everything has to comport with his Marxist principles, uh, or else you're gone. <laughs> you're in jail, or you're... Your church or whatever it might be is crushed. Uh, surveillance gets put up so that everybody's being monitored all the time. And um, so it's, it's the ultimate police state. And yet they still export uh, so much to this country, which enables their military. Uh, one other thing, Jan, I had a hearing. I've, I've chaired 75 congressional hearings on human rights abuses in China. One of them was with Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and Cisco. Uh, it took a while to get them to come. They did come. I swore them in. And what they were doing on surveilling as well as censoring people on the Internet, people who go onto Google, uh, Google search, uh, they said they were just following orders. And, and you know this is Chinese law. And again, the reminiscence that this brings to mind, the remembrance, I should say, of uh, of what people said after Nazi Germany's demise. Um, you know, I even read a book prior to the hearing called "IBM and the Holocaust," and talked about how the, the the IBM had so enabled the Gestapo to know where the Jews were, so they could round them up and slaughter them in Auschwitz, Buchenwald, and all the other terrible concentration camps. Now you have big tech enabling these this dictatorship in the cruelest of fashions, uh, and again, they're 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 I argued it unsuccessfully, as it turns out that if you protect human rights, please buy into that, everyone, including big tech. Rule of law and copyright infringement, intellectual property rights will also be more likely to be protected. But if not, they'll just steal everything you have. And that's what they've done. Uh, and they've used it for military purposes. They have a blue navy, blue water navy. Uh, and all. you look at a lot of their jets and everything else, they look just like ours. Uh, they either stole or we sold them uh, the capability to to Build this. And who's their natural enemy over there? Uh, who, who threatens China? They threaten everybody else. You know, whether it be Taiwan on the short term, Japan, Korea, Philippines, and over time, the entire world.
0: It seems like such a simple principle that, you know, you would expect a regime that treats its people a particular way to, you know, <clears throat> Maybe treat you in a similar way. Not suddenly be all become all benevolent when you know in in foreign relations. Um, and why why is it that you think that we don't get this simple principle?
1: Well, I think money talked in a very real way. Uh, many people in the business community said, if you just trade more, the Chinese Communist Party will matriculate from a cruel dictatorship to a democracy. Well, where's the? Where's the um, example of that in history? Uh, and, and again, that's why you condition trade. You know, if there's serious and sustained progress in the area of human rights, the trading relationship proceeds. If not, you shut it down. We never had enough people, either Republicans or Democrats, who took that view. Um, and, you know, again, Bill Clinton, in my opinion, his gross capitulation his, in the face of a dictatorship May 26, 1994, uh, that's when we lost China. Let's
0: talk about 1994. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. I see that as the sort of this pivotal date. Now, you know, this is five years after Tiananmen Square. This is where you know the world, we know, everybody knows exactly what the Chinese communist regime is capable of. Um, right. Tell me a little bit about how this happened. I mean, you were in the middle of this, and you were very clearly and vocally against
1: it. Yes. Um, Bill Clinton pulled a fast one on the Congress. We think we had the votes to end or at least seriously condition most favored nation status uh, for China on human rights principles, uh, conditionality. And um, he said, well, wait a minute, Let's, I'll do an executive order, give them a year to see how they do, and if there's progress, serious and sustained progress, you know, we continue it, but we keep that, that, that focus. Uh, we, I remember thinking, that sounds like a reasonable idea, um, and it was a farce. Um, every month I would hold a press conference uh, and talk about the different areas of, of, of persecution and human rights abuse and how it was getting worse. They were testing the White House, Bill Clinton, and, and midway through I put together a letter signed by a hundred members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans alike that I brought over to Beijing, went met with the Foreign Ministry, and said, we stand with Bill Clinton. Uh, you're going to lose most favored nation status if you do not make serious and sustained improvements in human rights observance. Um, I was pretty much laughed at. <laughs> I was told by the Foreign Ministry that they're getting it. So I, I came back, uh, contacted the White House and State Department, and said, they think Bill Clinton is bluffing. And, and um, you know, I you know, was very concerned. Um, on May 26, 1994, turned out he was bluffing. He took his executive order and ripped it to shreds and said, no conditionality on human rights and trade. And he did it on a Friday afternoon when most people had left Washington. I left later on that, that night, but not, you know, in the afternoon, late afternoon. So I did a press conference. And, and Pointed out uh, that this was a betrayal of the good people of China. We stand with the oppressed, not the, with the with the oppressor. And Bill Clinton had sided with the oppressor. Interestingly enough, years later, on her first trip to China, Hillary Clinton, en route, and it was carried by the wire services, she says, "I'm not going to let human rights get in the way of other issues, climate change, and other things that and trade." She was on her way uh, to China to talk about get in the way. Human rights are the core. If you can't treat your own people with respect, if you're going to butcher them and kill them and, and take their organs and horrible other things, forcibly abort their, the women, um, you know, that's where it starts. That's where the conversation starts and, and it has to be pervasive in, in that dialogue or else – and has to have linkage to things like, like trade.
0: So the – yeah. The, the the mantra you often hear is, oh, the, the, these are cultural differences, yeah. right? You've heard that how many times, right?
1: Well, I think when people suggest in Barack Obama, in a famous meeting with um, with um, uh, the Premier of China at the White House, uh, Hu, uh, Hu Jintao, I uh, was asked a question and all of a sudden who had some problems with the, you know, understanding what the question was, which was nonsense. So Obama weighs in and says, um, oh, they have a different culture and, you know, a different political system. He was giving them, you know, cover for their horrific abuse. It was so bad that the Washington Post did a huge editorial that said Obama defends Hu Jintao on rights. And, and it just took Obama to task for enabling, and what a place to have said, you know, you have Leo Chabot in prison, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, and Obama won it too, so you could say one of my fellow Nobel laureates, uh, and I'm standing with the man who has put him in prison, Leo Chabot. Uh, they wouldn't even let him go to the th- ceremony. I was there. I was one of those who nominated him for uh, that prize. But long story short, he had such an opportunity, and he just quaked. He just... He enabled. And so that's the kind of thing they they get used to that, you know, when the chips are down, the American politicians, particularly Obama, Bill Clinton, more than anyone else, uh, Joe Biden, uh, they're weak and feckless. And again, just what Wei Jing Shang told me, and I'll never forget it. Here's a guy who spent so many years being tortured in prison. you got to be tough. That doesn't mean you're belligerent. That doesn't mean you don't believe in constructive engagement, which I've often been accused of not believing. I believe in it. Just make sure the conditions are respect for human rights.
0: You know, um, I, I saw, noticed you didn't mention George Bush in your in, in well, talk. Well, George
1: Herbert Walker Bush, honestly, I think, you know, Bill Clinton accused him of coddling dictatorship when it came to uh, his treatment post Tiananmen Square, uh, I, we, that was not our finest day as a country. We should have been so strong about aligning with the aspirations of the people who wanted democracy and human rights, uh, similar to what we did in the Warsaw Pact countries and in the Soviet Union. You know, during those heady days when the wall was coming down in Berlin. You know, when, when uh, uh, Reagan said, "Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall." Uh, we should have had a serious, similar type of reaction to Tiananmen Square, and. Whatever reason, I think it was because he was ambassador to China, thought he had a better handle on it. Uh, you're never sure. Brent Scowcroft uh, went over and talked to the Chinese. I think were mistakes were made. So when Bill Clinton said he coddled dictatorship, um, you know, it was hard to argue with that. So in comes Bill Clinton, who then is tough as nails for the first year, and then coddles dictatorship like no one else on, on the face of the earth. And And they had to have taken notice of that. Just like when years later, Cha Tien, the, the, the butcher of Beijing, the operational commander who sent in the tanks uh, and killed so many people. Now he's defense minister. He comes here to Washington and, and he gets a 19-gun salute and all the military honors. Uh, he should have been sent to The Hague for crimes against humanity and should have been prosecuted, not treated. And, and he's, he's the one who said at the Army War College, nobody died at Tiananmen Square. When I heard that, I put together a congressional hearing in a couple of days while he was still here uh, and had people who witnessed death and destruction, including the Time magazine correspondent who saw it from his balcony, saw horrible, horrible violence committed by, by the Chinese Communist Party, uh, by Zhou by Hatian, <laughs> the operational commander, and, and we had an empty seat for him. Um, and we invited anybody from the embassy to come and give an accounting for such a ridiculous lie. How big can the lie be? Nobody died at Tiananmen Square. Um, so it was it was really... Uh, but Clinton had him. You know, years later, uh, not too many years later, uh, Christopher Cox, a member of Congress, uh, did a tremendous analysis, and it was bipartisan, to talk about how the transfer of technology, particularly dual-use technology, was being used to make the police, as well as uh, their military, you know, weapons system far more lethal than they would have ever been um had it, that not come from us so all of this these weapons that are just incredibly lethal um many of them including command and control came courtesy of the united states uh, uh, enabling especially through our big corporate um uh, leaders in high tech and so that's that's you know, God forbid they go to Taiwan, which I think is a very real possibility. Um, you know, the troops that are in, in Xinjiang, where did they get all that capability? Much of it came courtesy of us and the Europeans.
0: You know, I have, I, a couple of things just come to mind, I'll mention. You know, one of them was you'll probably remember this. Uh, there was a court case. I don't know what happened to it at the moment. Maybe it's still alive somewhere. But um, about Cisco basically providing, kind of selling itself to the Chinese regime. This was what the, the court case al- alleged. Uh, so it's technology very early. I mean, this is like early 2000s. Um, I think the PowerPoints that were in the documentation showed how they were saying, we will help you apprehend the Falun Gong, we will help right. you apprehend these people. Right. And so there was a question whether this is an okay way to kind of market yourself.
1: Well, Jan, and I actually had a hearing, and they were one of the. I invited Cisco, and they came, uh, and held them to account for Policenet, one of their their products, which was being used to give the Chinese secret police and the ubiquitous People's Liberation Army the capability to track down and find and coordinate with the um, uh, each police station and you know all of these thugs to go after the Falun Gong and to go after uh, democracy activists and people of faith. Um, I, I couldn't believe it, you know, that, that they would sell that capability to a dictatorship. This isn't a police force, um, you know, like, like we have in my state, uh, in New Jersey or elsewhere where, you know, they, you know if somebody goes awry, of course you've got to hold that police officer to account. But the police, you know, administer and help bring in criminals. <clears throat> Here they're bringing in democracy activists. And Falun Gong practitioners, and uh, so I did have that hearing, and um, um, it was it was outrageous in my opinion.
0: The second thing that occurred to me, you know, talking about police, I remember a few years back we learned that the Chinese head of Interpol disappeared in China, (laughs) never to be I think never to be seen again. Actually, to this day, kind of the story just kind of died. And the first thing I was stunned at was when the head of Interpol is Chinese, really who made yeah. that decision yeah right and <clears> second <throat> of all that the head of interpol can be disappeared without too many people having an issue with it because it happens to be in china I just uh, it's just i just remembered this right as a kind of yeah. case in point this is obviously not america we're talking about but but the, the 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 influence that the regime clearly had the coddling of the chinese regime as you describe it has been a sort of an enthusiastic bipartisan thing for, you know, certainly as long as you've been in Congress, right? Which is, which is many decades. Um, you know, '94 MFN status, and then I guess it's 2000 or 2001 WTO, right? The permanent trade relations, and then WTO access, without, you know, any change and without any reason other than. You know we, we want the market is that do you do you agree with that
1: oh no doubt about it and it's beyond just being naive about whether or not they you know had been changing course or getting better uh, anybody in the know would know that that's not the case i remember i met with uh, a number of business people on one of my trips in the early 90s who told me oh anybody can go i am happy to be a catholic anybody can go to mass I said, no, they can't. Uh, there are some patriotic Catholic churches, very few of them. Uh, the government runs them, you know, and, and they really do. Um, and and um, so don't think that this, you know, a couple showcase churches somehow constitutes religious freedom. And and that was the kind of, you know, um, either willing or naivete, but I think it's more a willingness to believe a big lie because you are making a lot of money. <laughs> The amount of money, you know, even even, uh, there's no labor unions in China. There's a state-run one, which is a farce. Uh, uh, They don't have OSHA, you know, occupational safety and health standards, the way democracies do, like we do uh, in the United States, to protect workers from accidents uh, that could be prevented. And they have large numbers of deaths attributable to that. Supply chains, we have no idea, supply chain-wise, what the feeder parts are. It went in a big big jokes and and cruel jokes of of the Clinton administration was that they always talked, and I had hearings on this too, about an MOU uh, with China that if we suspected something was made in the Lao Gai, the reform through labor camps, which is a, you know, there's no reform through labor, it's coercion, uh, but we could bring that to their attention, uh, they will investigate and then tell us what they find. So I went to a, a labor camp with Frank Wolf. Uh, it was called Beijing Prison Number 1. While we were there, there were 40 Tenement Square activists. How we got in is still baffling to me. But we asked for their products, you know, sampling, and we took them. We brought them back. We got an import ban on everything coming out of that that, uh, that gulag. Um, and when we saw the people there, it was heartbreaking. Gaunt, shaved heads, uh, all men. These men just look like you see in the newsreels uh, about... You know the uh, concentration camps of Nazi Germany, and uh, but we got the products, so I would. So Clinton's people would come up and say, "But we've got this MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, that says we can investigate." So how many are, how many are we investigated? Well, you can never get the proof of origin, unless you have on-site like us taking it literally out of the building. Uh, who can go and get that? The feeder parts, so if it's a supply chain, uh, and most things don't. You know, they have an origination. We have no way of doing it. So I met with the customs people in our embassy in Beijing. And there's an old ad. It used to be called the Maytag Repairman who, who uh, I mean, they make their washing machines and everything else so well uh, that they never have to be fixed. So they, you know, they have nothing to do. And I remember talking to these two men, very, very nice men, customs uh, officials. I said, how many cases do you get? Zero. <laughs> and they were like the Baytag repairman. They had nothing to do because who can originate it? Who can say with any credibility uh, this came from this supply chain, uh, which was made by gulag labor or by forced labor? Um, and uh, that's why with our new bill that's now law, and I hope it's implemented by the Biden administration, and I was the chief Republican sponsor of it, it says anything coming out of Xinjiang, the presumption is that it was made in concentration camps unless they can prove uh, that it didn't. And so we reversed the proof standard. And we should do that with the rest of China. I'm going to introduce legislation soon that basically takes um, the idea of serious and, and sustained um, um, uh, progress in the area of human rights and apply it to all goods coming out of China. We have leverage. They're an export economy. Without that, uh, the economy grinds to a halt. Um, and frankly, you know, if that's what it takes to protect their people uh, from these slave-like conditions, then we have to do it. and I think if we if we implement the, the Xinjiang law well, and if we do my bill, um, I think we're going to see reform.
0: So I'm remembering prior to PNTR in 2000, the permanent trade relations, and then WTO session. I remember. In two thousand nine, New York Times Thomas Friedman wrote uh, an op-ed, which made it's hard to get me angry. Okay, this one made me quite angry Um, because essentially what he wrote was that you know there's things to i mean this is this is my my take but we we there's things to admire about the chinese regime it's yeah. very efficient there's a, and and so on and so forth there's it, there's there's some sort of model there to be to be to be looked at and considered and i you know just as we're talking today i can't help but wonder right if that wasn't a more of a representative perspective at the time not just not just this one columnist and which resulted in Pntr and WTO and accession and and so forth. I admire the legislation, a lot of the legislations that you that you put forth. Um, the question is, if there isn't a will among, let's say the the Americans with the money, the Americans who are doing the who have the deals, the the large banks that have you know huge investments, and so forth. How can legislation like this actually have teeth and actually, you know, be enacted meaningfully?
1: Uh, Great question. You know, the law is a great teacher. And uh, if the law says clearly and unambiguously that that human rights are at the core of that relationship, well, then good things follow. You know, it's interesting that both vis-a-vis America and the rest of the world, uh, the Chinese government, Communist Party that is, has no Foreign Corrupt Practices Act like we do. I mean if, if you bribe uh, somebody in, in somewhere in Africa, Central and South America or anywhere else in the world, uh, boy, can you be held to account under U.S. law. They have no such thing like that. So the, the temptation and the actual uh, bribing of people happens all the time uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so that's already a problem and, and um, I do think, again, for a while you could say maybe people were naive. Uh, but I think the profit motive just, just elbowed out a uh, concern about human rights and this false belief that they would somehow evolve. Uh, and that's another thing that Obama said uh, that the Washington Post took him to task for. Evolve? When you're getting tortured, you're saying, oh, someday that government's going to evolve and they'll respect human rights. No, they won't. That doesn't happen in cruel dictatorships. They get stronger. They consolidate. Their kernels become... By day, businessmen. By you know, other times the colonel in the army, uh, and they're making money hand over fist. You think they're going to give that up? Uh, Not anytime soon. So that's why we need to be very strong. We have not been, and um, and we just keep misperceiving, um, you know, their true intent. And their true intent is to constantly consolidate and strengthen their power. Uh, and then to expand that. You know, Confucius Institutes, and I've had hearings on those, um, which are a farce. You know, they give all this money to a a college. Uh, They they seemingly handpick teachers from uh, the mainland China, make their way to the United States or someone else, and it's soft power. (laughs) Sending a line. Try asking a question about uh, the Dalai Lama or or Falun Gong, uh, which are so hated by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, try asking a question at, at, at Confucius Institute about that. Uh, I held hearings uh, when New York University, NYU, was building a campus in Shanghai. Uh, and they were, they were getting pretty much the place courtesy of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and so I had a hearing. The chancellor came and testified. And, and um, I said, well, what happens if somebody starts talking dissent here? You know, starts talking about um, the the unmentionables about human rights. Um, what about women who might become pregnant students? Uh, are you going to facilitate the forced abortion policy on campus? Uh, didn't get good answers. It was very cordial uh, with them. Uh, and I invited myself. I said, I'd like to come and give a speech in Shanghai on human rights at NYU. Uh, they accommodated. And that actually broke the, the um, ban that was on me. To travel to China, I'm on a hit list by the Chinese Communist Party. They've announced it. I've been briefed by the FBI to be very careful. Uh, but, you know, at that point, because I fought against the 2008 Olympics being held there uh, and then went there right before they actually occurred because they rounded up all the dissidents, they couldn't talk to the journalists or to the athletes. That was the Summer Olympics in that case. And, and um, I went and spoke. You know, they treated me cordially. The Chinese Communist Party hated it. Uh, but now I'm on this list uh, that that is, you know, a target list. So I, I say that academia needs to be more forthright uh, and, and say, you know, we, it's not about access. You know, it's not about, you know, the guy that broke the story on the forced abortion policy uh, who went to Stanford uh, was going for his doctorate. Stephen Mosier broke the story about the use of forced abortion to I- implement the one child per couple policy. What did Stanford do? They, they cashiered him out of the program because they wanted to keep their access to China. It was so bad that the Washington, the um, um, Wall Street Journal, uh, did a tremendous editorial called "Stanford Morality" and defended Stephen Mosier uh, against that that you know the fact that they sided with the dictatorship over one of their students. And uh, but he broke that story, and a year later, I'm offering an amendment on the floor pursuant to the information that we were able to glean from from his work. Uh, And then, of course, The Washington Post did a three-part series by um, uh, Michael Weisskopf about the dark side of family planning in China, and he had about like 200 interviews, and it was very—he should have got the Pulitzer for it, Uh, and he didn't because it wasn't politically correct, but he talked about what the Chinese government was doing uh, to its own women, forcibly aborting them, breaking them emotionally as well as physically, and stealing their babies and butchering them. That said, there was a hearing in 1985 run by the Democrats. I was at it. uh, And in which they had people saying, it's all over. The forced abortion policy is over. It was like, you know, that's a little bit of an overstatement, but not much that it had abated. Uh, I said, no, it hasn't. They go high tides. And, you know, when when the quotas aren't being met, uh, they mobilize with with a tremendous amount of resolve uh, to get those numbers down because kids are seen as... uh, you know, pollution by the Chinese Communist Party. So it's, it's, um, and all these people went along with it, always gave a good word for the Chinese dictatorship. Again, make it, let me make it so clear I stand with the Chinese people who are being oppressed, who are being oppressed, not with the oppressor and the oppressor is the Chinese Communist Party. They deserve democracy. They deserve everything that's embedded in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is, they've acceded to, you know, they all are for it, uh, and other treaties that they say they're for, but then they don't really carry them out uh, under the UN auspices. Um, you know, they, they say all this, and then they crush their people, uh, and, and they crush, like I said before, the Falun Gong and a few other uh, groups with a special impunity and, and vengeance.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about the Olympics. But before we go there, so you mentioned this
1: particular hatred the Chinese regime has for the Falun Gong. Why? Well, I think part of it is they didn't see it coming in the beginning. And when the Falun Gong practitioners uh, pretty much encircled um, you know, a, a key part of Beijing, uh, they didn't see it coming. And they saw that if a group can organize like this and we don't know about it the way they know about everything, it seems, um, they need to be crushed. If there's independent thought, uh, they want to crush that, as well. So there was a particular hatred towards the Falun Gong practitioners, uh, especially th- with the use of torture and murder uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. And of course, organ harvesting became not just a way of repressing, but also a way of making huge amounts of money for the dictatorship by literally stealing their organs uh, and selling them.
0: So we we're definitely going to talk about organ harvesting cuz you have a bill up yes. i mean you've had multiple bills over the years and that's another right. another thing we need to we need to mention right. but let's briefly let's talk about the olympics i mean we just finished the 2022 olympics you know in 2008 Everyone said, "Oh, this this is going to be this is China's opportunity to to show that it's going to be good on human rights and join the world community." And of course, as we know, and as you said at the time, and as did I said at the time as well, um, of course that didn't happen. It went the other way. But here, and here we are again in 2022. And how do you, how do you see that?
1: Well, the fact that in 2014, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, um, chose, and the vote was. Uh, uh, what was it, uh, 44 to 40 against Kazakhstan. The others all dropped out, and I wonder if they were kicked out you know, and, and in any way pressured out of the uh, contention for the 2022 Olympics. Uh, but China got it, uh, they made promises, and at the same time Xi Jinping's government was making promises that they did not keep and are not keeping on human rights, they were simultaneously planning the genocide against the Uyghurs. Simultaneously, I mean, that's when it all was being pushed, uh, and, and Xi Jinping himself said, quote, show no mercy, crush them, uh, and he has. There were even some police that didn't want to go along with it, so they cashiered them out of, the, out of work uh, and did horrible things to them. Uh, so Marco Rubio and I uh, was chairman, and he was chairman as well, co-chairs of the China Commission. Uh, we did write to uh, the IOC, and one of those letters was in 2018, saying... Don't go to China. Find a different venue. Move the venue. You can't do this in a country that horrifically oppresses its own people and is committing genocide. I mean, that's the worst crime on the face of the earth. And they're doing it. Um, And it's all at Xi Jinping's lead. He's going to be there, you know, smiling for the cameras at the opening ceremonies while simultaneously uh, butchering people. Uh, That's that's just can't be done. I pointed out, and I'm not the only one, that it was very reminiscent of the 1936 Berlin Olympics with the Nazis, uh, but in a way worse because we know even more now uh, about what's going on in China. There's been one catastrophic uh, uh, abuse after another, uh, so it just never ends. So how could you reward them with a PR victory? Uh, and, and again, I love the Olympics. I love sports. The athletes, nothing but respect for their capabilities and their training, Um, uh, they're the best of the best, but don't send them to China. (laughs) Go to another venue. There are other venues, and and that should have happened. Uh, We had a woman testify um, who talked about how she had been, electrical shocks were run through her, a mother of three, one of her children died, Uh, and that's just a typical Uyghur. (laughs) And again, while all of that is going on, the Olympics are going on, and I think from Xi Jinping's point of view, and maybe even NBC's point of view, these were not the Olympics they expected. I think they were greatly, you know, undermined by the human rights abuse. I mean, I saw one, one um, reporter as he was talking, <laughs> who was literally taken off the yeah, you know, Dutch a Dutch reporter. I, I mean, but that's what they do. Usually they wait until the light goes off, and then they do it. They did it while he was still at Uh That's what these people are. They're bullies on steroids. And when they get into the back room, they show absolutely no mercy with their, with their torture. And that's what I think most people don't realize. And uh, so the Olympics, I think, were, were not the political uh, uh, PR um, uh, stunner that they thought it would be at all. Uh, a lot of people didn't watch, um, maybe because they were distracted by other things, but maybe it was because of these are the genocide Olympics. You know, we haven't had a Genocide Olympics since Berlin, and now we have one again.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting point you make that, you know, what we knew about what China, the Chinese regime has been doing. Uh, we we know a lot more now than, right. than people even knew in the 1930s.
1: And Jan, getting oh, yeah. the, the corporate Americans at one of the hearings, because um, uh, I chaired them, uh, we also had the China Commission chairman. I'm the ranking member there, so I was a part of that. And we had some of the corporate sponsors there, like Coca-Cola and others. <laughs> I've never been more disappointed in people in my life who couldn't say, yes, they, they are committing genocide and this has to stop. You know, it's, they want to keep their market share. They want to be able to, to, to you know, make money. I'm all for making money. I'm a capitalist. I believe in making money, but with conditions. You can't make money on the backs of people who are being repressed.
0: Let's talk about this—you know, this issue which you've been uh, certainly on top of for at least ten years. Um, the forced organ—this, had this mur- As I, I like to call it, the murder for organs at scale industry uh, in China—and you know, for me, it was. 2006 when I first realized it wasn't a conspiracy theory when you first hear things like this you think to yourself okay this this is this is this is too much right because but you know sure enough and you know, there's this report in 2006 uh, David Kilgore David made put something there that looked really interesting they did some research I, I became convinced now well, l- let's talk about the bill you have out right now and then let's talk about what it took to get to there I, you know sure. yeah
1: well you know Jan. In the mid-1990s, Harry Wu made me aware of the killing of prisoners to take their organs. Uh, We actually got a Chinese policeman who defected uh, to testify. We actually cloaked him so they wouldn't know who he was, although they might figure it out, uh, to retaliate against his family. And he brought documentation that was very, very credible, including pictures of how they would shoot but not kill immediately take out organs and then, um, you know, finish the job and even make the families pay for the bullets that were, that we're used to execute. So they were focused on prisoners in general, political prisoners mostly. Uh, and then as the Falun Gong emerged as uh, a target of Chinese Communist Party hatred, uh, the whole idea, and to scale, like you said, it's a, a huge scale of repression. Uh, they started going after the Falun Gong, especially others too but uh, with, a, with a single-mindedness uh, to kill and take their organs. And um, it's very lucrative. Lots of money is made. Um, you know, if somebody wants to donate an organ and give their consent, uh, that's certainly ethical and, and should be permissible in any society. But there's no informed consent. These people are perfectly healthy. <laughs> they happen to be a Falun Gong practitioner or some other faith that is being targeted and they 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 just take their organs and it could be very painful uh they don't execute them and then take it they take them uh so that they are as fresh as humanly possible uh and then they sell them people come from abroad um and uh, get their get their organs uh it's 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 a nightmarish uh um abuse to think that you know you could be losing major parts of your body with the intent that you die at the end. And um, um, so I have a bill, and uh, Senator Tom Cotton uh, has the companion bill. We're working hand-in-glove together. Uh, he's a great human rights leader. And the, the behind it is to hold to account all those who are a part of, the, of this process. You know, back in 2004, I authored the Belarus Democracy Act. And at the core of that bill was sanctions against the individuals, and, and the inability to in any way be involved with trade, uh, that then became, that became law. And then we did it with the Magnitsky Act, uh, and I was the House sponsor of that bill. So we take that whole concept of holding individuals to account, um, no visas, and an inability to in any way, shape, or form do business with the banks and, and the rest with us um, as a sanction. So at the core of it is that that idea of Personally, sanctioning the perpetrators of these heinous crimes, and um, we have not been able to get the bill marked up or voted on, which is unfortunate. We're trying; we're going to keep trying.
0: So you, but you've had variants of this. I mean, this is this. I, I've looked at this most recent legislation, and it, it frankly goes just frankly, beyond China when it comes to its rules, which sure. makes a lot of sense to me, sure. right? Of course, Anybody, but, of, but of course, that's this is the the, the place where it is the, the biggest issue. And it's a state, this is the important part too to mention is it's a state thing. It's a state yeah. sanction thing. It's not some kind of black market under the ground right. operation that happens despite the state.
1: Well, the state is 100% behind it. The Chinese Communist Party, uh, nothing happens, particularly something like this, with, without the full assent by the Chinese Communist Party, so Xi Jinping, no doubt, knows all about it uh, and gives a thumbs up, uh, do these things just like he does everything else i mean the the lack of respect for human life by the Chinese Communist Party knows no bounds I've never seen you know it reminds me of the Nazis, and i'm not you know you look at or or, or what Stalin did when he was killing people left, right, and from the middle. Um, human life has no value um, crush, 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 destroy. And that's what Xi Jinping is doing. And, and this is just part of that apparatus. But in this case, they make a lot of money doing it.
0: I'm going to go back to my original question. You're having trouble this bill to have this bill being voted on. Yeah. I mean, why, why do you think it's so hard at this point?
1: It's a great question. Um, I don't think the, uh, the White House wants it. Um, the White House, we believe, didn't even want the bill that said the presumption is that anything coming out of Xinjiang was made with gulag labor. Um, They deny that, but there's a lot of evidence suggesting otherwise. Uh, And when it finally broke into the mainstream media, um, it it helped us to get that bill onto the floor and passed. Uh, It's the same thing here. I mean, I've lost track of the number of times on a Chinese human rights bill uh, that I've been told not going to happen. And the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, uh, during the— during the uh, Obama administration in 2014 when I introduced it, it was another example. Don't bring that up. Uh, you know, y- you're a solution in search of a problem. No, we're not. Um, you know, After a while you get tired of being right about these things. Then why don't you get in the mind of what the Chinese Communist Party wants to do to its own people and others? You know, it's, it's not—there's no kindness or graciousness there. Uh, it's uh, malignant. It's a, it's a malign influence everywhere they go.
0: I was just speaking with a friend a couple of days ago as it would happen about this idea of sanctioning Chinese companies for being complicit in forced labor for example there's um, that's kind of that's very far away right the the question is why not actually sanction or something comparable the individuals in the US or the Um, companies in the U.S. that are actually doing the investment, that are actually profiting from the whole enterprise?
1: Uh, It's a great question. Uh, When when it comes to the genocide being committed against the Uyghurs, uh, both at hearings and we believe the executive branch is serious about uh, sanctioning Thermo Fisher Scientific, which is uh, helping with the surveillance. Um, We do have a bill that's pending, and I'm the lead Republican on it, uh, that would ensure that certain Um, uh, devices and and, um, means to for the police to crack down uh, on individuals uh, are not sold. I don't think we should sell anything to the Chinese uh, police. Uh, They're not a police department as most people uh, think of a police department. They're thugs and um, so you're right. More needs to be done in that area. Uh, We can't even get our, our, our companies to criticize uh, the genocide. I mean, think about that. You know, there are one or two that will say something, they don't like it and all, but um, they're so afraid of losing market share. Uh, and then, you know, they claim we don't know when it comes to to um, uh, you know, supply chains. You know, how does that product get to the factory for final assembly? What, what, what were the feeder industries and what happens in those factories? Uh, there's a great deal of... Um, of uh, Willful ignorance (laughs) on the part of our companies.
0: Well, you made a good point earlier. You can flip it around. Why not do it across the board, right?
1: Well, I I do think, you know, again, that's what my new bill, which we've drafted, haven't dropped it yet, uh, would do. It it would basically, you know, unless there was serious and sustained efforts to, or or, or a record of human rights protections, uh, most favored nation status, which is now called permanent normal trading relationship, PNTR, so we don't even do an annual review anymore, uh, would be gone.
0: How realistic is a recoupling of human rights with, uh, with uh, trade and economy?
1: Well, it's a big fight. Um, we lost it in the 90s with Bill Clinton's uh, terrible leadership in the opposite direction. Um, you know, I would hope that an added dimension of all to all of this is the military threat now posed uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I raised with Al Haig in 1980. Uh, remember, he was our supreme allied commander for NATO, and he was the featured speaker at a group when the new members of Congress, and I was a new member of Congress, got together. And I raised China as being a serious threat to world peace, particularly uh, uh, countries in the ASEAN region you know, that, that are in proximity to China, uh, a serious threat. And he laughed at me. I'll never forget it. You know, it was kind of rude, but he goes, "No, there's no problem there." Years later, because he did um, testify at another hearing, uh, Tom Lantos and I uh, were at that hearing, and um, and I asked him those same questions again. And you know, this was like after Tiananmen Square, and talked about how serious this is. That Chinese, you know, they don't think in terms of a year or five years or ten years; they think very long term, uh, with plans to get them from here to there and, and um, regional dominance is absolute in their, in their plans. Uh, and that means a lot of our allies are, are, you know, are very, very worried about what their designs are. And, uh, but he, he just, you know, all of that's been changed by the reality of their military capabilities, satellite busters. You know, Bill Clinton, I'll never forget this, used aircraft uh, was um, a contributor to him. And uh, when there was an effort to help them with their satellites, so, um, you know, putting them on top of their ICBMs, uh, these were ostensibly for peaceful means, you know, that type of thing. Um, You know, some of the companies in the United States helped them to be far better at satellites. What do you think a satellite does for a military? It's surveillance, command and control, moving their ships around, moving everything around. uh, and, And... we help that. I find that appalling the whole idea of dual use material uh, that that flew off our shelves and technology uh, at a price so people made money on it into the coffers of um, of the Chinese Communist Party to build a military that is threatening to the world
0: you would think at this point that there'd be general realization that there really isn't much that China does that isn't what's called dual use yeah you know. True. Um, I want to, as a junior member in 1980, what did you know that no one else
1: knew? Well, I, I, I read a lot, <laughs> and you know, I did get very involved with the fight against forced abortion in China, and of course that opened up even more vistas about what they were doing on other human rights abuses. Everybody, I think, knew of the Cultural Revolution and you know the terrible excesses of Mao Zedong. Uh, but you know there was this sense that they're modernizing. Is, are they, you know, moving in the direction of a capitalist society? And and I thought it was all, frankly, you know, yeah, they might, they might build some factories and do some things along those lines, but again, you got to understand communism. You know, whether it be the Marxist-Leninist uh, views that that were espoused by by, by um, Marx himself and then of course Lenin. Uh, you know, they they. You get, you, there's a fundamental misunderstanding about Marxism. Uh, it is not benign. it is egregiously flawed and, and it, it is all about control, control, power, dominance, and torture. And that's you know every way you look with a communist society, whether it be Cuba. Whether it be uh, the Warsaw Pact nations or Romania. Uh, you know, I, I did a lot of work. The first book I read on religious freedom was Torture for Christ by Richard Warmbrand, a pastor in Romania who had been tortured horribly, as were the other Christians and some other faiths as well, but mostly Christians. Uh, and he made this appeal in the book, Torture for Christ Why are you enabling Marxism? Don't you understand what they do? Uh, And I read that book, and I read uh, Solzhenitsyn's books, uh, and one thing that jumped off the page in his book, uh, uh, The Gulag Archipelago, was communism isn't against God. It doesn't say there's no God. It hates God. It's militant atheism. It hates God. And in 1982, I was in uh, the Soviet Union on behalf of Soviet Jews, and we went to Kazan Cathedral where they had these little young pioneers, little kids walking in with their kerchiefs on and all orderly walking through, mocking the three major religions of the world. Uh, just and, and, you know, we got a little translation from the person we were with as to what the tour guide was saying, mocking all three of them, uh, like you couldn't believe, to little kids that were very impressionable. They had museums on atheism all over, all over the USSR. Uh, I wrote an op-ed about it once, um, you know, about that. But my point is... That's the same, with some you know, variation that the Chinese Communist Party does in China. Um, you know, they, they hate God. <laughs> they don't say he doesn't exist. They hate him, and therefore they hate the creature. They hate the human being, unless they can control him.
0: So we've, you know, we've the Olympics have passed. Maybe they weren't the big propaganda victory they were supposed to be for the CCP. Certainly weren't as big as Xi Jinping would have liked, as the Chinese regime would have liked. Um, but nonetheless, there were, the Olympics were held there. there I, I'm not aware of a single protest by a, an athlete. Yeah. I think there were even human rights organizations that advised the athletes not to because something might happen to them. I mean, you know, that's yeah, just that the, 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 the the concept of that. I just find it almost yeah. like, you know, the brain starts misfiring. Um, <laughs> what happens now?
1: Well, I think we need to redouble our efforts on human rights abuse expose of of China, Um, be very, very proactive in trying to stand in solidarity with Taiwan. Um, You know, the the deep concern is that, is Taiwan next? I mean, Hong Kong has fallen. Is Taiwan next? Uh, The threats uh, the Chinese Communist Party has made against us, against Japan and others, uh, in terms of, you know, being for Taiwan. Unconscionable, you know, what are they going to do? Um, Taiwan's a, a wonderful country where democracy is, is flourishing. Of course, they have their flaws, so do we, uh, but it's not a dictatorship. And that's what, you know, they want to impose um, if they were to move against it. Uh, so these global designs and regional designs on other people's property, uh, we've seen it with the expansion of, you know, in the South China Sea uh, and those islands that were man made so they could extend their their um, uh, claim to territorial areas, uh, water in, in many cases. You know, the Philippines are worried, um, uh, as they should be, as are other countries in the area. So we need to be, you know, very robustly, you know, use democracy, or d- diplomacy, I mean, to the greatest extent possible. Uh, but I think we're, we have some flaws now in terms of r- recent actions that hurt what we're trying to do. I think the horrific, exodus out of Afghanistan sent precisely the wrong message to every dictatorship in the world, from North Korea to Iran to Putin to Xi Jinping, um, that, you know, we left Americans there, and it's more than 150. Uh, we left a lot of our allies there who God knows what's going to happen to them. Um, and, of course, the, the uh, you know, we're, we're still in South Korea, and that is a protection that helps mitigate uh, ter- ter- territorial designs by Kim Jong Un. Um, you know, we're still in Europe as part of NATO, which is hopefully a deterrent um, uh, against Russian uh, aggression uh, to other countries. Not certainly Ukraine. Um, there is no no NATO per se because they're not part of NATO. So uh, I think we're bearing some very bitter fruit uh, from the egregiously flawed departure from Afghanistan um, I mean it, there should have been conditions that were well adhered to before we left
0: so if there's one let's let's say piece of legislation okay for lack for lack of a better idea that you think would be the most important thing right now to do to counter China is it recoupling human rights and trade is it like what what would that be in your mind well
1: I think you know, all the bills, including our, our legislation on uh, organ harvesting, they should all pass. I mean, they should be no-brainers. They should be on the floor. They should pass and go down to the president and then, God willing, faithfully implement. Uh, but that said, you know, if we were to reconnect human rights with trade and say, we're not kidding. Stop grossly abusing your people. There needs to be serious and sustained efforts to protect the human rights of your own people. Um, I think we would, we would, you know, there are people who might emerge as more moderates in the Chinese dictatorship. You never know. I mean, where did Gorbachev come from? Yeah, he, you know, he, he made some serious mistakes, but he also did some very good things um, with Ronald Reagan. Um, you know, the, so you want to see not the Xi Jinping's of this world uh, who do terrible things to their own people, but something that's much more moderate and moving in the right direction. Nobody expects nirvana and, and peace to break out overnight in terms of human rights observance uh, uh, and, or compliance uh, with international norms. It's the direction. The direction is all in the wrong direction now. It is worse and it gets worse and more worse. More victims, more victims, more victims. And, and, and we need to turn that ship around and use every lever possible, and trade is our most potent means to, to try to get them to change.
0: Are you concerned uh, that the, what's happening in Central and Eastern Europe, uh, you know, Russian ostensibly Russian aggression against Ukraine, um, that's going to distract from the focus on the Chinese regime?
1: Uh, it's a great question because I do think it already is distracting. But you know, we 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 need to. We have bureaus for Asia. We have bureaus for Europe. Um, you know, the State Department is very diversified. As is um, Congress. You know, in terms of all of our subcommittees uh, uh, that have different focuses, um, we don't have to take our eye off the Chinese Communist Party and their ab- horrible abuses and the threat to Taiwan, while simultaneously dealing with Ukraine. I mean, there's no reason for that. Um, there's enough, I think, personnel um, focused and deployed to all the crises around the world, and that would include Iran as well. Uh, I mean, to think that this administration is trying to reconstitute uh, the flawed nuclear deal with the Ayatollah uh, when, you know, they, they have not been faithful. I mean, it's still in effect with the Europeans. So where's the, where's the faithfulness? Um, you know, the money that they have used and diverted to, to um, uh, terrorism um, is, is astronomical. And it came from sanctions relief and my money that was sent over, um, far less than the sanctions relief, uh, in planes, in small bills to, to the um, dictatorship in Tehran. So there's, there's multiple crises. Um, but again, I think and I hope it has a short shelf life but the, the, the debacle in Afghanistan has sent a very serious message to dictatorships all over the world. Kim Jong Un had not been firing off his missiles, um, uh, you know, particularly during the um, uh, uh, Trump administration. You know, there was there was uh, you know some, but not anywhere. He is he's setting records now uh, for the type of missiles that they're they're firing off um, tests. Uh, and that is provocative, but it's also indicative uh, of a sense that, well, who's going to hold them to account? The <laughs> United States, <laughs> um, you know, the the UN. Um, so there's there's a, um, an unleashing, I think, of very destructive forces and part of it. I'm not going to blame it all on Afghanistan. That would be, you know, where's the empirical proof for that? But I think just knowing the way things are happening – Uh, And what that was perceived as, there was an article in in one of the Chinese papers, and I read the English versions uh, all the time, uh, and it talked about how to Taiwan, uh, don't think the Americans have your back, look what they did in Afghanistan. So they're saying that in their publications, Global Times and other propaganda, they put out how uh, almost like an admonishment to the people of Taiwan, don't expect the United States to have your back, look what they did in Afghanistan. It was a long op-ed or editorial. Uh, and it's not the only one. And so they're spreading that message uh, aggressively uh, to diminish opposition to anything Xi Jinping might be planning. Any final thoughts? No, I think, you know, I am a praying man. I do think we need to pray for the people of China. Um, as I said before, we stand with the oppressed, not the oppressor. And and the pray, I mean, they have suffered so much for so many decades. Uh, I mean, the loss of life on the Mao tongue. Uh, is right up there with Stalin and maybe even more, um, and and you know they crush people with with the bayonets and the, at a, with the barrel of a gun, and now increasingly through torture. So the pray for them um, is needed as never before, in my opinion, and and we need to be wiser as policymakers, uh, and play more chess and less checkers. Think what the next moves will be by these dictatorships, and just. You know, don't go back to uh, uh, unwittingly enabling them or not caring. And for a long time, there was such a sense of um, uh, China is, you know, what a wonderful culture. I agree. What a wonderful people, but not a good government, uh, a, a terrible, despotic, uh, human rights abusing government. And they deserve, the people of China deserve better.
0: Well, Congressman Chris Smith, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Jan. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: We live in an age of censorship and disinformation where some of the most prominent voices, most important voices, aren't actually being heard because they're being suppressed. I invite some of these people onto the show, onto American thought leaders. So to stay up to date on the most recent episodes and our exclusive content, you can actually sign up for our newsletter at theepochtimes.com slash newsletter. Just hit the checkbox for American Thought Leaders.